0: Hey, welcome to Zoe Church, if you have just tuned in, another welcome from me. My name is Ruben, I'm the pastor here at Zoe Church, and hey, it's so exciting that we get uh, to be together online, even if we can't be with each other in person We've been doing live streams ever since, you know, COVID-19 has hit, and mainly our focus and our goal has been to continue to be transformed by God in this season. We believe that in this season, God's actually calling us to something deeper, calling us to something deeper. And I believe that's a relationship with us, with him. That's a relationship with him that as we grow in this season, that we would grow deeper in faith, that we would, we would plant deeper roots of faith in Jesus in this season, so that when we do move out of the season, which will happen, that we will be a lot stronger in our faith, a lot stronger in our trust in Jesus, so that we'll be able to say, hey, we got past this huge thing that we were hit with, and God was always faithful. You know, we've been in a series called Align. Align. How many of y'all have enjoyed this series so far? Drop it in the comments if you've enjoyed this series. I know it's been a blessing to me, especially last week. Last week was something I needed to hear, just that even though things that we see seem impossible, like walking on water like Peter did, that God, oh, Jesus can do the impossible. There is nothing too great for God to do, and I was encouraged, and I was blessed by that sermon, and as I was writing this week's sermon as well, I believe that God has a powerful one for us today. See, we've been in a series called Align, and the whole series has been basically, the, the premise has been this, that we are out of alignment in our relationship with God, that we are not in harmony, not in connection, not in unity with our relationship to God the way it should be, and and so... What we've been doing is asking the question, well, what is alignment? What does it look like to live in correlation, in connection with our God? What does it look like to live in alignment? What does it look like to realign our lives back to the creator of all things? Because we kind of, we, we, we saw a few things. One thing we saw was misalignment leads to chaos in our lives. But realignment leads to clarity. Notice I didn't say realignment leads to perfectness, right? That's prosperity gospel. It's not true. Realignment leads to clarity. We're able to see God move. We're able to hear His voice and know where He wants us to be, what He wants us to be doing. It's powerful. And then we also saw how when we are realigned back to God, we hear His voice, we see His hand. It's powerful. And what we've been doing is focusing on what this misalignment looks like. We did that the first week. We went to uh, one of the letters that John, the beloved disciple of Jesus, the one who's close to Jesus, who, who lived during the time of Jesus, who heard Jesus, and, and he wrote in one of his letters describing what this uh, misalignment looks like. In fact, the way he described it as we read it is that it's, it's, it's the desires of the flesh. It's the desires of our fleshly, our sinful selves that chooses to love the world, to love the things of the world, to love all that is in the world rather than loving God more. We choose. We've done this terrible exchange where we've decided to love all the things around us rather than the God who created us. And how? How? John then describes what this looks like, what this misalignment, because that's the misalignment that has led us to a broken relationship, that has led us to even, you know, being out of connection with God, even worse. And he describes this, and that's what we've been doing over the last two weeks. We've we've just taken one of these two parts last week, and this week we're going to finish it off to understand what this misalignment looks like and how we can fix it. Last week, the way he describes it, we focused on the desires of the eyes, right? He he talks about two main things. He says it's the desires of the eyes and it's the pride of life. Last week, we focused on the desires of the eyes or our perspective, how in our world today, it's all about greed, I want, I want, I want, whereas God doesn't call us to fix our eyes on the things of this world, but to fix fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on the perfecter and the founder of our faith so that we can As we maneuver and figure out life, we can trust in him that our focus, we talked about this, right? Our focus will lead to either faith or doubt. And how when Peter focused on Jesus, he was doing the impossible. But when he focused on the world and everything else, he started to drown and he was calling us out to that. And and so the importance of our perspective how you see the world, what you are seeing, who you are seeing is so important. This week, we're gonna finish off our series by talking about the second part, which is the pride of life, or in other words, what you're, pri- what you're proud about, what you value, what do you find, where's your value in life? Where's your heart, really, is what we're talking about. What's the one thing that you value the most, that your heart values the most, in life, and if you're joining us and you're like, "Wow, I'm coming at the end of a series, and and I feel like I'm, I missed all it." Don't worry, you can always catch up and and kind of you know hear the rest of the series online on Spotify or iTunes. Just search up Zoe Church, and and you'll see our logo and you'll find us there. So definitely jump on and check those. But don't worry, those are just going to add to what's what we're talking about today. It's not going to take away, or it's not going to feel like, "Hey, listen, I don't know what's going on because Ruben's in a series." Today is going to be a standalone message, and I believe that you're going to be able to connect today because what we're really talking about today is about the value and the worth of things that we have. We're talking about our hearts. We're doing basically what I'm calling today's sermon is a heart check. You know, how many of you know this is true, that what we value in life or what you treasure in life is what you really get out of life? You know that's true, right? What you value in life and what you treasure in life is really what you get out of life. Isn't that a fact? I mean, what you truly value in life matters because as much as you may think and say that you value certain things, the truth is what you actually value might be another thing. Sometimes what do we do? We say, right, oh, I value that, but I didn't have control over it. I didn't have the time this week. You know, I, didn't, I wasn't able to you know, make the financial adjustments to be able to, to do that. I didn't have any control over that situation. Right? Don't we do that? We make excuses all the time. We're like, oh, I value. For example, for me, one of my struggles right now, I'm like, I value working out. And I need to hit the gym. Come on, let's be honest. I'm, I'm not kidding myself. I need to hit the gym. I want to hit the gym. Great excuse right now, oh, well, all the gyms are closed, so I can't go, right? But let's be honest, not true. They got home workouts. You know, they got the home workout video DVD stuff. I even have one of them. I forget what it's called. Insanity. That's the one I have. Insanity. Yo, insanity is really insane, by the way. Total sidebar. Regardless. Back to the topic. What are we talking about? We... Say we value one thing, but let's be honest. We do the things in life that we truly value. If you do not believe me, I want you to watch this quick video. Let me explain it real quick before you play it. Let me explain it. There's a show called The Office. If you haven't watched it, let me just help you. There's a show called The Office. You need to watch this on Netflix. Amazing. Anyhow, in this show, there's this guy named Kevin. And he, he, he isn't known for being the brightest guy. In fact, he's known for—he's—he's he's an accountant who doesn't really, at least for the, in the show, he's not really great at math. In fact, it's so funny that he's apparently created his own number to balance the books because he just can't seem to balance them otherwise. And, but he's also known for loving food. I mean, me and him share that in quality. I love food. He loves food, loves to eat food. And this scene, I think, shares a little bit about how the things that we value is really what we get and what we do in life in the end. Go ahead, watch this clip real quick. I love that. I love that. All of a sudden he's like, "Uh, salad, uh, carry the four, and I just don't know. I I think what Kevin really is showing us out of everything is that what you really value in life is what you get out of life. Because the truth is for some of us, and, and if we're honest, this might be the case, what we say we value or what we think we value might not actually be what we value. My old pastor said it like this, and it's powerful. Write this down because this is a quote that you can take and carry with you for the rest of your life. It goes like this. We don't have a discipline problem. We have a desire problem. Y'all catch me there? We don't have a discipline problem. We have a desire problem. We are very disciplined to do the things we really want to do. The problem is we don't necessarily desire the things we ought to do. Think about it. Some of us still haven't filed our taxes. We're in Canada here, so, you know, we still have some time, but we haven't filed our taxes, right? Yet, we spend time, instead of doing that, playing games or spending time binging the next Netflix show, right? I mean, for me right now, my biggest pet peeve is folding laundry. I don't mind throwing it in the, in the, in the washer. My problem is trying to fold it afterwards. Yet, how many of you, how many of you, let's be real honest right now, how many of you have piles of clean laundry you just haven't folded? Me. I'm number one. I'm, I'm totally guilty of that this week. But I don't mind spending time watching a whole Netflix series. We do this. Why? Because we value something else. You know, when I was a kid, this is so true. And, and, and for those of you who grew up in my generation, uh, y- y'all know what I'm talking about. I don't know about this generation. I don't know the, the one before me. But I know for my generation, this was so true for a lot of us. During the week, we went to school. We got up at 7 o'clock. I know some of you are like, what is that? Don't worry. We're going to get back to normal. It's going to be okay. But we used to get up every day, 7 a.m., get to school. Mom's like, yo, get up. You got to eat your cereal. I used to wake up all groggy. I don't want to do it, Mom. Get to school for 8 or whatever. Fine. That was my week. That was five days. Sunday, hated going to church as a kid. Did not like it whatsoever. Long story, another time, another, another place. We'll talk about that later. Did not like going to church, though. And so my parents would be like, Ruben, wake up. We got to go to church. I'd be like, <sighs> I'm like sleeping. I'm out. I'm cold. I'm not. I don't want to go to church. I just didn't want to. But Saturday morning, y'all, y'all, come with me for a sec. Saturday morning was another story. 7 a.m. And I'm like, Arthur's on? Let's get up. I was like, yo, Power Rangers, let's watch my t- I wanted to watch my TV shows more than anything else. And somehow... I found the willpower to get up Saturday mornings. I was up before everybody. I would tiptoe, you know, on the carpet so that my mom wouldn't, you know, find that I was awake so I could wash even longer. She would, so I wouldn't wake her up, although she's not telling me to do chores. Anyhow, yeah, regardless, we have a desire problem, not a discipline problem. And see, what I want to do today is I want to do a heart check. I want to go to this passage in scripture where Jesus speaks to this and talks about it. Because I believe the insight that Jesus is going to show us can change our lives forever. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. We're going to start at verse 17 and go from there. Listen, if you're new to church and new to faith and new to all of this, in fact, you might have been just scrolling Facebook and you're like, what is this? Click, nice singing, who this other dude. That's cool. So glad you're here. So glad you've tuned in. Listen, I hope you stay because I think there's something powerful that Jesus wants you to hear today. And so this is this is what I'm asking you to do. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. If you don't, don't worry about it. That's okay. It's gonna be up on the screen as well. But if you do, you're like, oh, I just found this dusty Bible. I gotta open it up. Go to the contents, you know, the index or whatever. You know, search up Mark, right? It's the only one you'll find. Mark, go to that page number. Big numbers are chapters. Little numbers are verses. And go ahead, and turn to chapter 10, verse 17. We're going to go ahead and jump in right there. All right, verse 17, we're going to jump in. And it says this, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. And asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So what's going on right now? Jesus was setting out on a a new journey. He was setting out to go and, and make a long journey. And this dude, who we don't really know who he is, he's just called a young rich man, right? We're going to find out later why he's called that. But... This dude comes running up to Jesus, and he has this burning question in his soul. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You ever had that question before? You ever gone to Jesus and just be like, Jesus, I need to see you. I need to know if you're real. How do I know you are you? You ever done that? I've done that. In my, I, I've been like, I'm not, I've, I've never, I've not always been a follower of Jesus Christ. I've, been, I've had a moment in my life where I'm like, I have no idea what I believe. But I've done that before. And maybe you're here today and you're like, I've never done that. I've never cried out for God and, and wanted to know the truth about life. And maybe this is a moment in your life where you're like, this is an opportunity for me to really ask, oh, where is God? Who is true? Where is eternal life? How do I get that? Where is eternal life? What is that? And maybe that's, this is a starting point for you to really ask those questions and dig deep In that area. But this man, he knows exactly where some of y'all have been. He's like, he's coming to Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, verse 18, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. So, Jesus, what does he do? He goes ahead to describe the latter part of the Ten Commandments. He says, listen, there's no one good except for God. He's setting a rapport with this guy so that everybody knows what authority he's coming with. The the Jews would have understood exactly what he's saying because he was quoting what the Old Testament was really, you know, uh, what what it taught about God or Yahweh. And so he's setting, you know, what any good teacher would have shared to this young man who was asking a very real question. And this young man responds impressively. He says, and he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. So impressively, this guy's like, yo, I kept all of these things. I've done all these things. I've known these laws. Obviously, you know, this guy was a Jew. He he knows the law. That's why he's coming to Jesus, who was considered a rabbi during that time to to, to many. Going to Jesus, asking this real question. Jesus, I've done those things, though. I've done those things. And Jesus, we're going to pause here. This is important. And Jesus... Looking at him, loved him. You know what that says to me is that this young rich man was not coming like many other Pharisees and, and, and Sadducees and scribes came to Jesus trying to trick Jesus and deceive Jesus into giving them an answer that they can kind of twist and put him in jail after for later. It tells me Jesus knew this man's heart. Jesus knew what attitude he was coming with. Jesus knew that he was coming sincerely. He was genuinely asking this question, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? And some of you might be here today who are asking that genuine question, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? Well, Jesus responds, Jesus looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Now go back to verse 21. You lack one thing. You lack one thing. He says, go sell all that you have. Give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What's going on? This guy Young man, was rich, had tons of wealth. Comes to Jesus, knows the law, has kept it all of his childhood probably. Growing up, hearing what the rabbis and the teachers of the law, the Pharisees have taught. hears about Jesus that he's teaching about true life. Goes to Jesus and asks him, how do I gain eternal life, Jesus? And Jesus' response is, you lack one thing. You lack one thing. And then he tells them, You got to sell all that you got. Once you do that, then you'll have eternal life. You see, this man had an issue. His struggle, which is why he left disheartened, discouraged, and just left. The reason why he did that was because he valued his wealth more than he valued God. That's why he leaves sorrowful. It doesn't say whether he turned his life around afterwards and We can just speculate. I have no idea. All I know is when he left, he left discouraged because he had great wealth or he had great possessions. See, this man's richness was holding him back from receiving God, receiving all that God had for him. His heart's value was his wealth, not God first. See, But he's not so different from many of us because the truth is we all have something that could be or may be our one thing. Here's my question, what is Jesus saying to you today if he had to come to you in your living room, in your bed, on your couch, wherever you happen, if he had to come to you and be like, you lack one thing, what would Jesus say to that? What would Jesus say that is? What's the one thing that is keeping you away from God? What is the one thing in between you and God? What's the one thing that your heart values more than God? You see, for this man it was his wealth. For this man, it was his tre- his wealth was his treasure. That's what he was holding on to the most. Uh, well, that's what he was holding on to tightly, more than anything else. But for you, it might not be that. It might not be greed, or it might not be your wealth and how much money you have. That might not be the thing that is in the way of you and God being realigned back in your relationship together. For you, your one thing might be your name. By that, what I mean is it might be the pride of life. It might be just the ability to be proud. You, your, your, your goal is to make a big name for yourself. Your goal is to, you know, have an amazing status in life. Your goal is to maintain your image. Your goal is just focused on how everybody else sees you. I'm preaching to someone today. You know, today in our celebrity-influenced social media world, come on, I'm about to step on some toes now. There has never been a time where more people are interested in maintaining their image at the expense of authenticity, at the expense of originality, and eventually real growth and development as people. That's not how or what we were created to be. or Who, I should say who, we were created to be. God has something way deeper and further for us than that, yet we've gotten caught up in the ways of the world and the cares of the world and the love of the world. Or maybe it's not that for you. Maybe it's not about maintaining an image, how people see you. You're like, I don't care. Let them see whatever. Awesome. But maybe for you, your struggle has been your desire to live Life to the fullest. You're like, I want to enjoy all of it. All of it is amazing. We're going to have a good time. We're going to party. It's about the pleasures of life. It's all about enjoying the moment. Hashtag YOLO. We talking to anybody right now? You only live once, so you know. When in Rome or whatever the saying is. Yet, God doesn't call us to live like the world. Or maybe it's something else in between that I'm just not thinking of. The danger of our one thing cannot be overstated. Because in the words of Jesus in another passage, in fact, two chapters before, he shares this. He, he, he speaks about another thing. And he says this one line that is just absolutely amazing. In Mark 8.36, he says this. What good, and this is in the message translation, by the way, Eugene Peterson, he, he, he translated uh, a normal trans, like like a literal translation into something that's a little bit more understandable or into uh, in another type of, like modern lingo. And so he writes in this way, and I love the way this is phrased because I feel like it gets to the heart of what this verse is really trying to get at. He says this, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? In other words, what good would it be to gain the whole world but then lose real life? You see, but that's the problem. We have put our worth and our value in the things that we see rather than in our trust in God and who, what, what he sees and what he wants for us. See, to be a follower of Jesus means to put him above everything else, to put Jesus as first in our life. If I were to put it another way, I would put it like this: that to be a disciple means to treat Jesus as the king of your heart. And I know you're gonna chuckle at this, but I'm gonna say it anyways: not the waiter or the Uber driver or the vending machine of your heart. I'm real, I'm not, I, that's not a typo. That's like, I legit put that in there. Because let's be honest, that's how we treat Jesus sometimes, isn't it? Instead of treating Jesus like the king of our heart, like the one who owns the throne of our heart, whom we bow to and listen and serve and obey, what do we do? We treat Jesus like a waiter. Hey, Jesus, go get me that. I want to order that, side fries with that. Make sure there's avocado in my burger. Thank you very much. See you later. Or oh, we treat Jesus like an Uber driver. Jesus, this is really where I want to go in life. This is where I really I really want to get to. Just take me there. I'll tip you on the way out. Thanks very much. See ya. Or sometimes we treat Jesus like a vending machine. What am I in the mood for today? What am I feeling? What, what, what's going on on the inside right now? I want to order this, order that, order that. But that's not what it means to be a disciple. Jesus is not our waiter or our Uber driver or our vending machine. Jesus should be the king of our heart. The one who leads us the one to whom we obey and listen to, the one whom we put our trust in and say, lead us, we follow you. No matter where you take us, we follow you, Jesus. But this is the problem. We do this so often. And that's not living in harmony or in alignment with God. That's living in misalignment. That's living in, in, in a lack of unity. That's living in, in war with God. When we choose to say, oh, I'm going to love God, The world rather than God. You see, this is where this rich man failed. This rich man failed right here. He he failed to realize that Jesus has to be the king of our heart. And because he failed to realize that, that he has to be the king of our whole heart, not just some parts of our heart, he left away discouraged. You got to notice, though, in the scriptures there, what does it say? The rich man goes, Yeah, yeah, I kept those laws. Yep, I kept six of the Ten, of the ten Commandments. In our day today, what do we think? We're all 60%. Come on, Jesus, that's pretty good, 60%. But that's not the way it works. It doesn't work like that. Because the truth is, there's only one throne on our heart. And either Jesus is on it or... There's always something. There's always something that rules our heart whether it's the pleasures of just enjoying life, whether it's greed and riches and wanting more in our life, or whether it's just, I want a big name for myself in life. Jesus is speaking to us and saying, hey, listen, that's not where you find real life. And this rich man sadly walks away sorrowful. I also want you to note, though, that this rich man, or not this rich man, but that that Jesus is not going to every one of you you as disciples now and being like, yep, I just want all of my followers to be financially bankrupt. He's not saying that. What Jesus is really saying is whatever is between you and God, whatever is that hurdle, whatever is that block, whatever is that struggle that is stopping you from fully and authentically allowing Jesus to be the king of your heart, It is better to get rid of that and have unity with God than to live with that and be divided from God. So here's my question for you today that I believe not only you have to consider, but I have to consider. Who is truly on the throne of your life? Who is truly on the throne of your life? The disciples, thrown back by this saying. Jesus going ahead to explain how hard it is for those who are wealthy or those who are, are rich, for them to be disciples, the hard journey that they face because it's temptation. Every single time they look at their bank account, it's temptation to just live life and forget about God. It is, and it's hard. So the disciples are wowed by Jesus' saying, go and ask, him, well, Jesus, who can be saved? So you just drop down a few verses, and you go to verse 27, and Jesus says this. Jesus looked at them and said, with man, it is impossible, but not with God. Somebody drop that in the comments, but not with God. For man, it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Can I get an amen? All things are possible with God. We trust in our God to lead us through this. In the end, it is Jesus who saves us, who makes it possible for us to live this kind of lifestyle of putting him first through the Holy Spirit who encourages us, who who pushes us forward, who gives us the energy and the reminders that we need. Well, Jesus isn't asking for perfect disciples. He's asking for willing hearts. Somebody drop willing hearts in the comments. Are you a willing heart today? He's asking for willing hearts. See, Jesus knows this is impossible with us. He knows it's impossible for us to continually and constantly live as though we were never going to ever value something else. We fail. As human beings, we have failures and we fail. Yes, we do. But see, and I think this is what the rich man missed. The rich man, it was an opportunity for him to say yes. Jesus was giving the rich man an opportunity to say yes, even though it seemed impossible to trust that God would get him through. That though it was impossible with man, it wasn't possible with God. And that God would help and help him get through when the temptation comes to value the things of the world rather than putting God first in our life. And so here's our question today. Are we going to say yes to Jesus? Are we going to say yes to Jesus in our life? Are we going to abandon whatever we have held in higher value or higher regard? than the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus and being in a relationship with Jesus. Will we take that step of faith and believe that even though it's hard and seems impossible, that God, that Jesus will come beside us and help us in the journey as we walk as disciples, continually making sure, daily making sure that Jesus is the king of our heart and nothing else. Church, the world is passing away along with all its desires. Pride is for a moment. The feelings that we have come and go. But our relationship with Jesus, that'll be forever. The joy that Jesus brings, that's forever. The promise that Jesus makes, that's forever. Let us not trade the future for now. Let us not trade the temporary for the eternal. Let us not take the easy way out, but instead... Let us live in honor of Jesus, the perfecter and the founder of our faith, and let us allow him to come into our lives to transform us from the inside out. Love that song, from the inside out. Powerful song. That's my prayer for you today, is that those of you seeking to have a transformed heart, those of you seeking to realign your hearts back to God, that you would see the hand of God in your life, that you would see the power that Jesus gives you to overcome the temptation, to overcome the struggle, and to put Jesus on the throne of your heart, to set him as king over your heart. One of the things that I have um, experienced in life is the most powerful way and the greatest response, I believe, to changing the desire that we struggle with is surrendering our lives, is surrendering our will to Jesus and asking him to change us and transform us from the inside out. There's one of my favorite passages that reminds me every time I read it, the power of surrendering myself is actually when God starts working on the inner desires that I have. And it's, but it's not until I surrender myself that God will start working on those desires. It goes this, Romans 12, 1 to 2. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to 2. It says this, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is the surrender, to present your bodies, to present yourselves as a living sacrifice. The Jews understood sacrifice. They understood the surrendering of oneself. They understood sacrifice because they had to do it according to the law. But see, Jesus takes it once further. He's like, we want you to actually present your bodies as a living sacrifice. How many of y'all know a death sacrifice is a one-time thing? It's happened. It's in the past. It's over with. A living sacrifice is a daily thing. You're continually giving yourself every moment you live and surrendering your will and your desire for the world and saying, God, I choose you, I choose you, I choose you. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The surrender that you do, it's actually worship to God. We think that worship sometimes is just singing or worship sometimes is just praying. No, worship is much greater than that. Acts of obedience is also worship. And so when we surrender ourselves to God and say, Jesus, come transform me from the inside out, that's our act of worship. And then he, and then he says, Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like this world. Don't look like this world. We're supposed to be in this world, not of this world. Not just, in, not just in this world, but not of it as well. We're called to be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That you would be transformed. That your mind, God knows that the battlefield is in the mind. That the enemy comes to attack your mind. That the thoughts of the world and the temptations that go on are all, they all start, they all manifest in the mind. And so, it's like, so that you would give yourself over to God. Surrender yourself. So that you're not conformed to this world. Not living like this world. But instead, you're transformed from the inside out. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is. What is good, acceptable, and perfect. In other words, you know what all this leads to? It, it leads to you being able to know God's heart. It leads to you being able to see God's hand. It leads to you being able to know the will of God. That's what the will of God is. It's God's desire. How powerful is it for you to stop guessing in life what God desires, but for you to be so connected, so aligned with the creator that you know his heart and his desire in all the situations of your life. For it says... But that is good, acceptable, and perfect. Fam, to be a disciple of Jesus, it means to put Jesus and to treat Jesus as the king of your heart. And so here's my call for those of you who are like, I've been on the edge. I've had many other things as king of my heart, who've reigned, who've ruled, who basically dictated my life. But I want nothing more than that. I want nothing more except I want Jesus, I want Jesus to be the king of my heart. I'm going to pray and if this is you, I want you to bow your head and I want you to just repeat the words after me as a sign of surrender. This is not just a thing that's hey, yeah, perfect. It's all done. This is this is the first act of obedience that you're taking to say I want Jesus in my life. So just pray this with me. Father, I come before you weary and in pain. I feel lost and I don't know how to move forward. I have had many things as the king of my heart. But I desire And I want you to be the king of my heart. Jesus, I welcome you into my heart. I desire to know you, to be in a relationship with you, to love you, to trust in you, Will you please help me do that? Jesus, I thank you. In your name I pray, amen. You know, maybe if you prayed that and if this is the first step that you're ever taking to walk closer to Jesus, we're so glad that you took that step. I'm so glad that you took that step. And my prayer is that this week would be a week of continual surrender to Jesus. And not just surrender, but... You gotta learn about who you're surrendering to. You know, if you've done a heart check and you're like, wow, my heart is far from God, my heart is not wanting anything to do with God, then this is an opportunity that you get to realign your heart back to God. And it starts with surrender, and the second part is just saying, Jesus, now I just invite you in. Come, teach me your ways. Open up scripture, read scripture, reach out to a friend who you know is a follower of Jesus and say, hey, I want to know more about this Jesus guy. Teach me. And my prayer is that you would discover how amazing, how beautiful, how worthy Jesus is, how true Jesus is, that there is no other that compares. Amen.